Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, welcome back to the Chase Thomas podcast, where I am still the aforementioned Chase Thomas, coming to you from Knoxville, Tennessee. A very somber, cold, morose Knoxville, Tennessee, where. Look, uh, I don't speak for all Tennessee fans. Matt Green, who's here, fellow University of North Georgia alumni, Matt Green, but um, it, it was rough. We had a we had a Athens Georgia takeover. Uh, there were Georgia fans all throughout uh, Neyland Stadium, all throughout Knoxville over the weekend. We were overwhelmed in a stadium full of uh, over a hundred thousand uh, possibilities, but unfortunately. Probably fifty thousand Georgia fans. I think. Yeah, that that's true. People are saying <laughs> that there were fifty thousand uh, Georgia fans in attendance for this game that I was at. Um, is that the case? Who knows? Depends on who you read on Twitter.com. But uh, yeah, I, I just I'm glad they've all gone home because uh, I was worried. It was it was uncomfortable to be taken over uh, in that way from a fan perspective. Because um, if there's one thing I know about the Tennessee Volunteers and our fan base, it's that uh, we're not committed. And that when Georgia comes to town on homecoming weekend, where Candace Parker, Todd Helton, and Peyton Manning get honored at halftime, there's one thing I'm certain about, where Walter Nolan, the number one prospect in college football, or in high school football, is on the field, getting another inside look at uh, big-time SEC football when Taven Jackson's there. Hmm? He's an A&M commit now. Well, he is, but like he still he goes to Powell, and it's not like he's signed yet. And Rodney Gardner, as we both know, is a recruiting machine, so it's not not locked in. And Taven actually commented under it of like uh, when he committed on I think it was on Instagram or something, where he's like, oh, "What? What the heck?" Something like that. So I think Taven and him are talking. Uh, don't uh, we'll, the, we'll see. We'll we'll see. I, I would not rule that one out yet. But either way, um, I'm safe. Uh, I know you were worried uh, last night how it would go with getting out of there with so many Georgia fans. And like you said, when you've left Knoxville after a victory, Matt, when we don't, uh, when you, when you, you ushered in that uh, unfortunate phrase, it's like Call, calling the dogs as they call it. It right. was one of my favorite moments as a Georgia fan back in 2011, just like a crowd of Georgia fans, just leaving uh Neyland stadium, uh, calling the dogs. It was, it was good times, but yeah, I think the uh, Georgia definitely travels well. Obviously, I think the uh, whatever the numbers are, you can you can debate how many Georgia fans really were. Maybe it was ninety ten. Maybe it was more. I don't know. This is why Tennessee shouldn't do a blackout. Because yeah, you can't really tell. Should have gone. Should have checkered that thing. Mm-hmm. You know, checkered Nealon is honestly they should do that every week. <laughs> but um, yeah, I um Georgia fans always show up. But this was a this was a good one. Tennessee gave Georgia a game. That's for sure. I wouldn't say we gave you a game. I think we gave for, you... Uh, for a quarter and a half. I was going to say, we gave you a quarter and a half. A le- which, in the grand scheme of things, when you think about where... I, I don't know how you feel about Alabama right now, but us giving Bama three quarters and you guys a quarter and a half seems about right, because I think Georgia's a much better team than Alabama this year, so that sounds about right, based on the talent differential and um, where both programs are. But we were able to get a lot more off on uh, Alabama than... Georgia and I think obviously the defensive discrepancies between the two programs right now are huge and just seeing that Georgia defense up close and personal is was very frustrating um very very frustrating especially like the the deep misses where I just turned to uh the sports renaissance when I'm like you get two or three of those and that's it like Georgia's not going to give us enough time because I think we had what six sacks total in this one um so the time wasn't going to be there and that was a worry of just like the time to develop I mean Cedric Tillman still at 200 yards receiving in this one but 
um, Javante Payton not being uh, a, a factor and not being active was huge blow because like there there's just no depth. Like Georgia can move around. Uh, Graham Coffee, friend of the pod um, of Dog Sports, we were tweeting back and forth about this last night, but he made this point. I don't know if you noticed this in real time, Matt, but like Georgia had to make a bunch of adjustments uh, on defense. Uh, who was it? Your starting free safety got benched um and they moved people the, around uh, the star yeah, yeah. Uh, latavius brainy mm-hmm. uh, once they brought dan jackson in for him that really uh that stopped some of the big plays in the passing game i thought for uh for tennessee yeah and i think that was i mean hey we forced you to make adjustments but then like uh as some georgia fans mentioned and i think this is true is like kirby is elite in these adjustments and just being like okay they threw this haymaker and then we didn't have the players to to adjust back. Like, but you, another thing mm. you saw was um, so Adam Anderson, like with Georgia being down, him like that's a huge blow for Georgia's mm-hmm. defense. Like they are super deep, but he's just so athletic and so versatile, and probably Georgia's best pass rusher on top of that. And I think you saw Channing Tindall and Quay like Georgia Georgia's third inside linebacker has has been the leading tackler on this team so far this year partly based on the substitutions, partly based on how much the second string is playing. But you also, you saw some Quay Walker, you saw some Channing Tindall playing that Adam Anderson role of, you know, trying to rush the passer. So that's the one, one thing you kind of worry about is how Georgia can replace him. But, you know, they just have so many guys and they're just so versatile. Like Channing Tindall was just all over the field yesterday. Three sacks, like that man was just, he looks like a missile every time uh, on the way to hitting the ball carrier. Like this Georgia defense is just, is just absurd. Like Tennessee, these first couple, you know, those first few drives, they were really moving the ball. And I think that, yeah, that first miss on that deep ball, I think that that kind of changed the, uh, the complexion of the game really. And we had another one. I think it was to Warren. It was either Warren or Fant uh, deep downfield that we missed uh, off the fingertips again. Um, but yeah, I mean that was you, you just can't miss those against Georgia. Like that's the that's why Georgia is so great. Like you can't miss those rare opportunities when we beat you over the top and stuff like that. And uh, kudos to Hypel for for doing that, uh, being aggressive, going for it on fourth down in their territory. Even though they like the rollout QB play was was not great. Didn't love that play call, but I liked the idea of going for it. So, um, See, and I, I know you're all about the tempo, right? But do you start to worry at at after a while, if if you are so good in the first quarter, mm. why can you not continue this the rest of the game? Like why, like our team's just making adjustments? Like you would think the tempo, if your team is good with the tempo, then you should be wearing out the opposing defense. Not there shouldn't be simple adjustments that they can just oh now they can stop it. Like are you wearing your own team out by trying to go so fast? Like I wonder after a while, like it's it's if it's the tempo is more of a novelty more than an actual like winning strategy. I don't know. I think it was just more of Georgia took away a lot of the stuff that we wanted to in uh, tempo. And I think um, that's just uh, because Georgia is the best team in college football this year. Like a lot of that, they have an all time great defense. I think it, that was more of an anomaly than um, what you're going to see week to week. I think the tempo will bury uh, most teams, especially in the SEC East, will bury them uh, week in, week out. I just think Georgia's a, a different kind of team altogether. So, I don't know. Can they do it against the best of the best as they continue to improve and get more games under Hypel and get in his own guys? I don't know. We'll we'll have to see. Um, but we'll get more into the UT-UGA game in due time. In due time. I'm glad our friendship in the podcast survived this one, uh, Matt Green. <laughs> yeah, we're good. 
I felt like you were a little. Did what did you think about it? Did you think I was a little too uh, Homerish over the weekend? At least, do I get credit for calling that we would be winning after the first quarter? Do I get credit for that one? I banged that drum all week. For that, but you also, I believe you said you'd be shocked mm. if they weren't up seventeen seven at the end of the first quarter. What was it? Ten three, ten seven. Uh, yeah, ten seven. Mm-hmm. Hey, so it's like it's you would be shocked if Tennessee isn't beating the number one team in the country by ten at the end of the first quarter. Three, it's I like, mean, it was close. And that field goal where we like we were driving on that second possession too. So I mean, it was right there for fourteen seven at the end of the first. It was close, but um, but yeah, we'll 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 finish getting into the uh, the whole Georgia Tennessee. We can keep it moving. Can we get a? I want to raise a banner though for first quarter national title, like a, a first quarter national title team. Like, where is anyone better than Josh Heupel in the first quarter? So at least at least you got that going. <laughs> raise the banner. There was a great uh, shout out to Tampa Bay Trey, friend of the pod, Trevor Sigma of PFF, who tweeted out the the Tennessee banner of we scored seventeen points on Georgia in twenty twenty one. So that uh, hey, raise the banner. You got fifteen minutes for the rest of your life. <laughs> I think that's how those how those great speeches go in the locker room. Mm-hmm. Um, Matt Green, uh, let's start um, with Jimmy Lake. So Jimmy Lake got fired. After 13 games at Washington, he had just been suspended. Um, not a great year, but last year really wasn't that bad. Um, he made it an all-time bad OC hire in John Donovan, who was terrible at Penn State. He's been bad everywhere he's gone. Um, he got fired first, but then Lake obviously got suspended for the contact with the the player, and now he's just out. Uh, both Washington and Washington State moving on from their coaches this season, both in relatively short fashion. Jimmy Lake getting fired stunned me because I thought he would still get at least one year. And Washington's not that kind of program that just uh, is that cutthroat and moves that quickly. Um, especially like uh, I said, after 13 games, it was a stunner. But this is something that is interesting about Washington, too, is that their basketball program's probably looking at a firing as well with um, Mike Hopkins, who's been really bad and Washington's in a really bad place in their basketball program. And you just can't have that in the Power Five and at a premier power five program like uh u-dub uh your two premier sports uh both being down like this they're both hired by jennifer cohen um their current ad and those are two big swings and misses uh that she didn't hire chris peterson i forgot who was the ad i think it was woodward actually um who's now the ad at lsu i want to say that's right um who uh who hired him at uh, UW? I could, I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that was the case. Either way, when yeah, when someone like this gets get fired, like especially the shortened year in 2020, and now this year not even finished. Like when you're firing someone after 14 games, like it's not about the win loss record, you know, it's about everything. And like you said, like like they've looked inept at times, not just bad, they just looked just awful. And with with also this this player, him, you know, hitting the player or whatever, kind of the bad publicity that's come from that, it's just it's I, I believe it's more than just the win losses because I mean that's 14 games to the head coach. I think I'm sure there's more there. Well, what do you make of it? Are you were you surprised that Lake got fired at this point? Um, do you think where does this job? Uh, rank for you because I think the AD also probably has to get looked at as uh, getting replaced that's the other thing it's like I don't know if I want Cohen making the next head coaching hire here and next basketball hire because 
early on, not a great track record uh, going Hopkins and uh, Jimmy Lake is your your first two premier program hires. Uh, you can't miss like that in today's college sports landscape, I don't think. So I, I'm curious how that unfolds as well. And yeah, in, I'm, I'm in curious where this where job is, ranks. Yeah, in terms of where it is as a job, like... I don't know. It's like Washington is not a top 20 job. You know, it's like you could argue that you could argue that no job in the Pac-12 is a top 20 job, to Hmm. be honest, like just because of what that conference has become. Like, I think if you if you said Oregon and USC were top 20 jobs, like I wouldn't really disagree with you. Like those are solid jobs. But the conference as a whole, there's just there's just so few eyeballs on it. Right. So it's it's hard to really judge necessarily where the Pac-12 jobs rank because I feel like tradition wise like USC is in another like dimension than Florida in my opinion like and if if Florida eventually you know moves on from Dan Mullen but currently like in in today's landscape I don't know that USC is a better job than Florida you know what I mean like so Oregon yeah Oregon's got all the Nike things going for them and everything so like that makes it a a big time job but like washington is i would say i'd say pretty clearly the third best job in the uh hmm. in the pac-12 would, would you disagree i'm trying to think of like if stanford is better or if no stanford's definitely maybe ucla not. is better but i would probably put washington they've had more like current success in the last you know two three decades than than ucla has but washington is an interesting spot like it's that, and that's why I say it's got to be more than the win-loss record of Jimmy Lake. Like, it wasn't terrible, but it wasn't anything to, to be excited about. So, Washington's definitely a, a solid Pac-12 job, but I I, I wonder if, if one of these guys, like, like who who's the, who's the sexy name on the West Coast? Because like, that, that's what it kind of seems like. It's It seems like West Coast guys kind of want to stay in the West Coast. So, a guy like a Billy Napier or one of these Jamie Chadwells that's an up-and-comer in the group of five, they might not even be remotely interested in going out to the West coast. So it all just, it it seems like it's a different breed out, out there. Yeah. And I think they got kind of lucky too, right? Going from Sarkeesian who restored that program because they were down for a while. um, And then Sark brought them back. And then uh, Peterson just put it all together. And obviously Lake was a miss there, but he was just, uh, he was brought in with Peterson and they were a great partnership for years. So I had just kind of penciled him. He'd be fine as long as he made the right OC hire. And I thought he would recruit well, but I think it was just too much. He was, this job uh, was, I think they need to go the CEO route uh, next. I think they kind of need to go back to the Chris Peterson type, someone who's already a proven head coach. Cause I think this might be a more complicated job than we had, uh, than we had thought. Um, and this just, uh, it's tough. Um, there we'll, we'll have to see which way they go. But like you I mean, we've talked about this where it's like programs go back and forth on this stuff where they go the Mac Brown and then they go hire uh, Larry Fedora and then they go back to, uh, you know what I mean? Where it's, it's either the established old coach or you go the, the retread or uh, the new fresh face, like Will Muschamp to Shane Beamer, um, Mark Rick to Kirby smart. Um, I just think that that's kind of how this thing goes for a lot of programs. So I think they're probably going to look at a sitting head coach, but I'm, I'm curious. I mean, Jonathan Smith, I think is called number one. Um, from Oregon State. Uh, we'll see if he's able to pry him away because he was a quarterback at at, uh, at the Beebs, but he was the OC under Peterson. He's now had a lot of success at Oregon State where it's a much more difficult job. 
he has a better opportunity to win there. Because like you said, they're not going to get the Napiers of the world to move up to the Pacific Northwest. I don't think Mm -hmm. they're able to do that. So I'm curious to see where they go because it's not like you can just go hire the elite Boise coach again, like the the Brian Harson or Chris Peterson because it's like Andy Avalos and he just got there. Maybe make a call about Craig Bowl at Wyoming. I don't know. I am very, very curious to see where Cohen and Washington go here because I think Washington State has a much more clear route um, and i wonder if it also hurts washington state that uw just opened up that uw just being the the better program in the better area and all that kind of stuff that that will hurt who the coups can ultimately uh pry away from another pacific uh side of things so i'm i'm very curious as a whole but yeah rough year for husky fans and uh we'll have to see what happens there um jim mora to yukon sir Falcons coaching legend Jim Mora. Uh, this came out of nowhere, right? Like, what do what do you make of uh, Mora making the jump to? Well, you're to a bigger Falcons fan, right? Like, Falcons fans like Loki hate Jim Mora, right? No, he's fine. No, no. Petrino, Falcons well, Petrino fans hate for sure. Yeah, the way he bounced. I, I I didn't think he was remembered fondly as a Falcons head. He was okay. Like he was good for Vic for a little while. Like he wasn't he wasn't awful. No. Yeah. Um. I don't know. I mean, that's. I feel like it's a home run hire for UConn, you know. But will this work out? Who knows? Like, I'm not sure how many how many coaches can make UConn work out. So we'll see. It, at least UConn having a coach that people have heard of is is a step in the right direction for their program. Well, here's the even better part. Did you know he was the offensive assistant at UConn this year? No, I did not know that. I didn't either. Like, when did I, he? I don't understand. Like, he was born in, L- in L.A. He had the, L- the USCLA job. Like, what are you doing? Why'd you move to store? What is it? Stores, Connecticut? Um, I don't really understand any of that. But um, I I don't know. He wasn't a train wreck at UCLA, right? I mean, yeah. And I just pulled back up because I was like, I know I'm not misremembering that because that was 17 years ago now that Moore was the coach of the Falcons. He went 11-5, 8-8, and 7-9. So he wasn't, uh, he wasn't terrible. And he also wasn't terrible at UCLA. He almost won 10 games three straight years he started nine and five ten and three ten and three eight and five and he never bought him out his last year there was five and six so i don't know um sounds like a uh bo Pelini type type career at ucla maybe they didn't appreciate what they had yeah but we'll have to see ucla or uconn is just such a tough job man and i i don't know like we'll see right we'll see um i saw liam cohen strong in the mix for the umass job the oc at uh kentucky so we'll see what happens on that front but yeah bad programs in the northeast taking a big swing but hey i, I just you might as well just throw stuff at the board right when it comes to yukon like what it can't get any worse um go go huskies um matt green if you had to guess the new top four for the college football playoff rankings this week before we record our next pod who do you think the top four will be Oh, I think it's pretty easy, right? Because, I mean, nothing really changed uh, with this week. So, I think you got to go Georgia 1, Alabama 2, Oregon 3, and Ohio State 4. Yeah. I, um, hmm. It's kind of coalesced pretty neatly, right? Like, now these four, if they just take care of their business, like, I don't... Like, I think Georgia, with the win they're going no matter what because of who they have left in their calendar. Like, they could lose to Bama, but they're still, I think, locked in. I don't see a way. You think Georgia- so? Yeah, I don't think Georgia can fall out. They would have to lose 
in a way. <laughs> they would have to lose 41-7 to 7 or something, and that's just not going to happen. I so, think it's still possible. I think with, with just the scenario right now of all those teams right there at 2 through 5, like... I don't know. I guess it's it's tough to see undefeated Cincinnati getting in over one loss Georgia. Um, but I feel like if Oregon loses, I feel like that almost guarantees Georgia's in win or loss in the SEC championship. Hmm. But I think uh, just because I don't think there's enough real like contenders to, to keep Georgia out at that point. You know, you have the Big Ten champion. You can have um, Alabama at that point. You can have Cincinnati, and you can also get the loser of the SEC championship game. So I think that's what it doesn't even make it that difficult on the committee at that point. But I think they'll have like they'll have some decisions to make if Oregon and Ohio State and Cincinnati's still up there undefeated. But I think Cincinnati is the huge winner over the weekend. Like with Oklahoma losing, I think that was the biggest thing. Like they might be sitting at five with Georgia and Alabama are going to play each other, so that bodes well for moving up one spot. But you just had Oklahoma lurking in the rear view. Like, yeah, as soon as they play number 10 Baylor, number 12 Oklahoma State, or I think I'm switching those up, it's like it was going to be enough to put their resume. And then the Big 12 championship, all of that was going to move Oklahoma ahead of Cincinnati. So with with Oklahoma going down, I think it's tough now for the Big 12 champion. Like, it's still possible, I guess, a one-loss Big 12 champion could jump Cincinnati, but I honestly don't see it. I think the Big 12 may have just been eliminated over the weekend. Hmm. Yeah, that's probably right. Um, I think that's probably right. I do wonder, like, depending on how it goes, like, I could see Cincinnati fans, they have to cheer for Georgia hardcore in the SEC title game. I think you want to go ahead and put Alabama to bed there, right? Like, you want to make sure Without they Without a doubt. Like, you're you're going hardcore for Bama to, to lose in the SEC title it's game. It's like the bubble team rooting for, for chalk in the conference tournaments in, mm-hmm. in college basketball. You know, you don't want the that 10 seed from the sec stealing a stealing an automatic bid but yeah i mean I, you could you could talk oklahoma state into there mm. because you know that's one thing the big 12 has going for them is that even though that big 12 championship is a rematch it's always a quality opponent so oklahoma state if they beat oklahoma and then baylor back to back kind of i think that could be enough but but yeah i i, I think cincinnati is looking more and more like a possibility for the playoff every week we move on. Hmm. We shall see. We shall see. Uh, Matt Green, biggest takeaways of the weekend for you. Biggest takeaways. Would you like me to start at my stat of the weekend? Oh, that's right. The the green line. Stat of the weekend. Let's go. I will get you up with my stat of the weekend. As you're, as you're aware, not to toot my own horn or anything, my upset pick of the week, Baylor Bears took mm. down the Oklahoma Sooners. Um, so Oklahoma this year has scored less than 24 points three times. Hmm. Would you like to guess how many times in the first four years of Lincoln Riley the Sooners scored less than 24 points? Zero. That would be zero. Zero. In the first 55 games of Lincoln Riley's tenure, they scored less than 24 points zero times. They've done it three times in the last eight games. Man. That's, that's tough. Man, the game we'll get into the the Baylor game this weekend because it like you look at the box score and you look at the lines and you're just like this was Lincoln Riley, um, just bonkers. It, it's just I it, it it's just bonkers. Um, well, it, and that that mm. leads me to my biggest takeaway of the of the weekend is I told you this before the season started. Mm. 
Defense is not dead in 2021, <laughs> sir. Defense is not dead. We had multiple games of the weekend. I think that's why I liked Baylor so much. Mm-hmm. Had, Oklahoma's messed around with so many people this year. Baylor, they were going into that hostile environment, and I think they have the best defense in the in the Big 12. And you saw them make plays. Caleb Williams got benched. Like they weren't. They were just just looking for answers because they couldn't do anything against this Baylor defense. And you also had Ole Miss that they won with defense. Like the Ole Miss defense came to play versus Texas A&M. Like I think Zach Calzada might be a one-hit wonder at, the, at mm. this point. And then you also saw Georgia. Uh, you know, like they do every week playing that Tennessee defense. So there's some big-time defenses that are shutting down some big-time offenses these days. Although I'm not sure I can call A&M a big-time offense. But Ole Miss uh, came to play on Saturday. Yeah, for sure. And we'll get into the different wrinkles uh, with that. Uh, let's start um, Let's start with Ole Miss, Texas A&M. Because we talked a little bit at the top of um, Georgia Tennessee so we'll get back to that but um Calzada really imploded in this one like this was this was bad and Kiffin just what Kiffin did to Jimbo in this one was was mean it was like the analytics versus old school coaching too uh in a lot of ways but Kiffin really did um he outcoached Jimbo and DJ Durkin um he he did a great job. He shouldn't be a defensive coordinator or coach in college football anymore. But hey, he's he's doing some stuff here. And um, the defense, if they're able to shut down teams like Texas A&M, and that offense can cruise because they were able to run the ball a lot, and they've struggled with that in recent weeks. But uh, what did Ely have in this one? Did he get close to two hundred? I think um, it was like one fifty something. Yeah. And he was he was good, and they were able to run for close to 300, I want to say, and Corral was great, but uh, Calzada was just not good whatsoever. And Ole Miss won a different style that we we're, I guess, waiting to see to take them seriously. Like, this is how you go from fun, frisky, 7-5, and 8-4, and four, to, oh, this team can go 10-2, and 11-1 with the right year right like that's what you have to see is them being able to win these kinds of games without a doubt and i think one thing i you kind of referenced it when talking about tennessee is like i feel like we just we have this perception of what alabama is because that's what they are every year so every we've used that as a benchmark that you're like a&m beat alabama they must be great right florida almost beat alabama they must be like ready to compete for the sc east again you know Tennessee almost or played with Bama for three quarters. They're they're taking steps in the right direction. Might be able to beat Georgia. You know, it's like we're using Bama as a as a benchmark every week, and, and maybe it's leading us the wrong way. You know, like maybe Bama's not as good as we thought. And you know, also Zach Calzada had the the luxury of of playing Alabama in in prime time at home, a rowdy home atmosphere. Like this was a different beast going on the road in Oxford and. Ole Miss brought it like the defense just they were incredible in this game mm. well happy trails Texas A&M my Texas A&M Aggies out of there out of the take them out of the two spot now <laughs> they are out of the two spot they are out of the two Ole spot Miss, in the fourth quarter when they were up 15 13 they had the interception that led to like a 15 yard touchdown drive then the pick six like they were just making play and they had the safety in the second quarter like this I was really impressed with Ole Miss's defense this week. 
Um, Michigan, Penn State. Do you know why Michigan could not wear the the maize pants? They did wear the maize pants. Or not the maize. Wait, no, the yellow. They wore the yellow. Yeah, the yellow is maize. Is yellow maize? Which one's the other one? Which one's the blue one? <laughs> uh, blue is blue. I don't know. Blue? <laughs> okay. Well, maybe like, it is. They're uh, maize and blue, right? So, there you go. Yeah, maize is like corn. Like, oh, I, is that I what was it not is? a fan. The uniform, uniform police here. Mm. The yellow socks, man. Like, it made everyone look like they're wearing, like, big, like, long tights or something. Like, I didn't like it. I didn't like it one bit. Really? I like this look. But anyway, they had to wear that look because Penn State wouldn't wear them, wouldn't let them wear the blue. Oh, they wanted to wear blue pants? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, you know... Shout out to Penn State, because that would have been some garbage watching Navy White Navy versus White Navy White. Like, that would have, have been awful. Okay. Well, that was friend of the pod, Max Markovich, on the Atlanta Sports Guys, who, I didn't realize who that. tweeted that out. Um, it, I want to pull up the exact one to get it right. But anyway, this Maybe game. That's why they rock the yellow socks. <laughs> Maybe. Like, we're just, we'll make it as yellow as possible. You won't get us confused. Exactly. But um, I want to pose this question to you. Matt Green, is this the best Jim Harbaugh team he's ever had at Michigan? Oh, I think it could be. I think a few weeks ago, I think we were questioning, you know, they kind of had that look of like an Iowa and Wisconsin. Like, yeah, the defense looks solid. You run the ball well, although they ran the ball, they've run the ball way better than, than Iowa has all year. But we were questioning the passing attack. But I think you've seen the last few weeks, like, they 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 they're they're more balanced than I was giving them credit for uh, before a few weeks ago. So I think I think they could give uh, the Buckeyes a legitimate shot in in a few weeks. Like I'm 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 becoming more and more of a believer in Michigan. Really, especially because Penn State just has a way. I kind of said this on the pod. Like they just have a way of like making you play their style. Like I don't know what it is. Like bringing you down in the trenches with them or something. You know, kind of maybe it's the long grass they have in Happy Valley. I don't know what it is. Like. Teams just aren't really able to to blow them out, even if they're a better team than them. You kind of saw that with Ohio State too. So Michigan or Penn State just gets you in those kind of grimy games, and Michigan be able to go on the road and beat Penn State, even if they're not ranked. They're what six and four now. Mm-hmm. This is still a quality win, like a, a huge win for the program. Yeah, I mean now, like they had the Michigan State loss, but mm-hmm. now all they really have left is is Ohio State. So mm-hmm. and then the Big Ten championship. So. I mean, I'm not saying they're better than Ohio State, but I'm I'm a lot higher on them now than I was two or three weeks ago. For sure, I'm I'm really excited about the big game now. I think it's actually going to be a lot closer and a lot. It's going to be interesting because it's going to remind me. I think, and this is something that speaks to your college football ethos, Matt Green. Is I think it's going to be a better version of Ohio State Nebraska, where I think. Um, it's going to be low scoring. I think it's going to be heavy hitting, and I think it's it's not going to be as wonky as the Michigan State game. But I am I'm curious. I think it's going to be the best Michigan Ohio State game we've seen maybe in the Jim Harbaugh era. And I think we've seen that Ohio State. Well, let's hope for that. We haven't seen many good ones there. Well, it's also like do you do you want to guess how many losses Ryan Day has in the Big Ten at this point in his career? Um. Man, what is it, like one? Zero. He's never lost a Big Ten game. So they went undefeated. Oh, yeah, they lost to Oregon. I didn't even think about it. Yeah, so they've, wow. Yeah. Even a couple, few years back when they were, when Michigan was, like, top five and, like, 
they were they were ranked higher than Ohio State all year. By mm. the time that game came around, I think Ohio State ended up like hanging sixty on him that game, like when they had the block punt and everything. But um, yeah, we'll see. He's that's what it comes down to for Harbaugh. He's gonna be measured by the Ohio State game. But I think this is good, man. I think they bounce back. Good for him to bounce back. Um, Haskins and their two headed monster there, thirty one carries, one fifty six. I just think Clifford's not right. Like they that season ended when Clifford uh got hurt uh, 4.8 yards per attempt in this one so rough ending down the stretch here for the the Nittany Lions but Michigan I think is top 10 program I think Harbaugh deserves a lot of credit for for flipping this program and just they're tough man I think Michigan's really good um OU Baylor you called this one we mentioned at the top uh did Dave Aranda break the break the code to solving Lincoln Riley and do you agree with Lincoln Riley that uh Aranda crossed the line with uh, the whole uh, kicking the field goal as time expired there. Well, 100% he did not cross the line. Mm. I was not aware of the, the tiebreaker aspect of it. So mm. the fact that they lost Oklahoma State by 10, mm-hmm. and now they have a win over Oklahoma by 13, like that means something. I'm with Lincoln Riley on terms of like, that's got to be like a 15-yard penalty or something. Like there's still time and the whole crowd is on the field. Like mm-hmm. that's got to be something. But you can't be mad about that field goal like that's that could be huge in terms of you know making the big tw- making the big 12 championship so you can't you can't hate on Baylor for that at all okay um, that's okay um so is Oklahoma are we sure they're eliminated from the college football playoff cuz i am going to put them on the outside looking in but I still don't think it's it's out of the question yet. I I wouldn't eliminate them all the way. Mm-hmm. I think Baylor's going to be, because Baylor's got two losses, right? Yes. Baylor's going to be the toughest one to get in. But Oklahoma and Oklahoma State both still have one loss. Mm-hmm. I think it's definitely still possible. It's just going to take some chaos. Like I don't think it will, because can't you just do Cincinnati going down to Houston, and then you just have Oregon going down to Utah, and then they're back in? Right, I, if they went yeah, out, they they could. I mean, you could honestly potentially get a second Big Ten team in, depending mm. on what happens. But yeah, I guess if Oregon, but see, that's that's the madness it's going to take, right? Like, I don't think that's Oregon, madness. <laughs> but who who who'd you say is going to beat Cincinnati? Like, Houston's good, man. Houston I is mean, it's good. Possible, but Cincinnati is not likely to lose. They're they're better. Well, than, I'm saying the AAC title game is open open for business i don't think cincinnati's a guarantee to win the aac title game right now based on the way they've played the last few but weeks right now like in in all honesty if oregon loses mm-hmm. cincinnati loses georgia like i think a two loss alabama is almost more likely to be in there than oklahoma or oklahoma state hmm. i don't know like i wouldn't want that especially because alabama wouldn't having lost to A&M and, and Georgia, like who, who would be their good wins at that point also? It's not like a, a typical resume where they have multiple top 10, 15 SEC wins. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't want that to happen, but we've seen this committee like give the, the benefit to the eye test at times. So I don't know. That, that, would be a, that would be a doomsday scenario. Like The committee wouldn't know what the hell to do. I would almost eliminate the, the Big 12 at this point, but yeah, not, not 100%. Okay. Um, Mississippi State comes back. I was watching this game at the tailgate on uh, Saturday, and I thought it was over. Um, and Mississippi State wins the second half, thirty-three to six, as they take out Auburn. 
Um, Will Rogers, man. I think he's officially dude. Six TDs, no picks, crazy completion percentage. The air raid just whew, too much for Derek Mason and that Auburn defense. Um, pretty bonker second half, but kudos to the Bulldogs for a monstrous never quit attitude and just taking care of business in the Plains. Without a doubt, 40 unanswered points Oof. from the second quarter on, from like this, like late second quarter to like mid fourth quarter. Uh, just kind of, just insane. After Auburn went up 28 to three, here's where they're, here are their drives for the rest of the game. It was missed field goal, punt, missed field goal, punt, <laughs> turnover on downs, touchdown, fumble. So that's, if you want to, you want to draw up how you lose a game where you're up 28 to three, that, that's it pretty much. Man, but hey, good good for them. I am so ready for the Egg Bowl, man. The Egg Bowl is going to be so much fun. Oh, man, without a doubt. Did you see who Kiffin said is the best? I think he said something like the best offense and best offensive mind in college football is Mike Leach. I think that's what he said yesterday. He did, yeah. Um, shout out to him. Just constantly trolling. I think he picked Georgia and yeah, just what? A- that was weird, right? Why was Lane Kiffin the celebrity picker? Like, I didn't hate it. Like a head coach being the picker every week would honestly be kind of cool. Like they have some insight mm-hmm. that country music stars and comedians don't have. So I'd be all about uh, the head coach or whatever home team being the picker every week. I just thought it was a little, it was kind of funny. For he sure. Also, he also got the Georgia Tennessee game horribly, horribly wrong. Mm. <laughs> we don't have to, we don't have to do that. Um, well, let's revisit. The Georgia-Tennessee game, you watched it on the, the telly, as they say, across the pond. In, in England, they say the telly, not the television. Um, people forget. And I uh, I was there. It was fun atmosphere. It was great. Um, great first quarter. Bad game from Hooker. He missed some stuff. His reads were bad. Um, miscommunications on that pick in the second quarter that really changed the game. I didn't like Hypel running up the clock there. Um, cause I was like, they're getting the ball back after the touchdown where they went up 24, 10. I'm like, this, this feels bad. I turned to a Tennessee fan behind me and I was like, this, this feels like an avalanche is, is coming. And I don't think, uh, we're, we're playing and prepared for it. Um, I like the moves to go forward on fourth down. Like I said, not having Tion Evans again was a brutal blow. Javante Payton not being right was a brutal blow. Cause there's a lot of Ramel Keaton in this one who has not been a factor all season. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think they fought hard. The quotes after were amazing, like uh, with Heupel, who's just so likable and gave them all the credit in the world and just talking about uh, leaving points on the board and everything that he said and they fought hard and how he's going to close the gap. And um, I don't know. I think it's it was a great showing. This team fought hard. Uh, Heupel just saying that we're not scared of Georgia and we weren't afraid to be on that field with them and we shot uh, we took our shots. Um, they obviously didn't connect. Tillman had a great game. Um, but yeah, it was, it's tough. It turns out playing the best team in the country with just, who's just stockpiled full of talent is hard, but it is fun. And, uh, Neelan was rocking and we, we did what we could with the roster <laughs> that we had. Um, I did think it was interesting, uh, Matt, that like, I don't know if you, uh, like you talk to more Georgia fans than I do, but like, they hated Stetson Bennett. Like the Georgia fans around me, um, there was uh, some terms that were thrown around whenever he would drop back and make a mistake that uh, are not suitable for this podcast. But like he is loathed, um, or I should say was loathed uh, by the fans, um, uh, Georgia fans rather. And 
I don't know. He he's just so weird to me because Georgia is just so good everywhere. They're so good everywhere. Um, I think they're kind of thin out wide. I don't think that was uh, I thought that was kind of an area of weakness for them. They weren't really able to do anything with Bowers, with McConkey, Kieris, like. Not a not a lot of stuff downfield that scared Tennessee. They didn't have any explosive plays for the most part outside of the the James Cook run, and the, it was it was a lot of dink and dunk stuff. And just they were pretty even. I think they were at like 185 rushing and 185 passing or something close to that uh, in the third yeah, quarter. George, oh, okay, in the third, yeah, because yeah. George ended up running for 274 on the yeah. ground. So but I'm I saying think... like going into the third, it was pretty even. Y'all were pretty uh, pretty even keel on dividing things up. But in Tennessee, obviously, wasn't in the six sacks and just the the offensive line really imploded in the second half because your defensive lines uh, pretty stacked, pretty stacked. But um, that was my takeaways. I thought Stetson wasn't very good. Um, he's he's good at knowing when to run. And I think he's just a lot better when he's moving out of the pocket. Um, he just looks kind of confused and flustered when he's has to sit there in the pocket and you see it because there are open dudes that we can see and he just doesn't find them and i don't know they're throws that like jt would hit like that's the other thing that's gotta see, be that's frustrating because i think that i think the fan base is definitely divided on Stetson mm-hmm. bennett for whatever reason like why this guy is anything other than like a feel-good story is kind of like blows your mind like i think it's just, just the pressure they just constantly hate on what he is and, and don't really acknowledge what he is like jt daniels yeah it would be nice to have jt daniels but he was also not healthy for five six weeks in a row and sets and bennett was you know like there i think i heard someone else say this it may have been graham coffee um say there, there's one to two throws a game that you see and you're like sets jt daniels makes that throw that says and bennett mm-hmm. doesn't but there's also four to five plays with his legs a game that sets and bennett makes that jt daniels right. doesn't so it's like those those balance each other out. When Stetson Bennett can can take off and get a first down, like people act like, oh, well, it's it, he's he's not Lamar Jackson. He's not really a running threat. Like he's he's as much of a running threat as you truly need, and and he's super efficient. Like yeah, he he didn't necessarily scare uh, Tennessee a lot down the field, but he went 17 for 29, like 213 yards, like. I, it, it's weird to me any Georgia fans that aren't satisfied with what Stetson Bennett is doing, right? Like, if, if you looked, if you honestly just, before the season, you said, hey, after 10 games, JT Daniels is going to be completing 65% of his passes with 15 touchdowns and four picks, and Georgia's 10-0, and 0, people would be like, yeah, I'll take that all day. Averaging 10 yards, almost 11 yards per attempt, too. So he's not just dinking and dunking. We actually are having explosive pass plays in the passing game. Like, you would take it all day. But it's because it's Stetson Bennett, and he's 5'10", and he looks the way he does. It's like people just want to think it's not legit. It's like, yeah, we know four- and five-star players can can get better year-to-year, year, but, but so can the two-stars. Like... Stetson Bennett is clearly a way better player than he was in 2020. And for all the talk about Tennessee's offense, like this Georgia offense has been more productive all all season. You know, like they they came in averaging more points per game than Tennessee did. And you saw James Cook. I think this is probably the best game of James Cook's career. Um, 100 yards on the ground, 40 something yards uh, receiving, three total touchdowns. Like Tennessee really didn't have an answer for him. But as, as much as maybe, like you say, Stetson Bennett didn't scare Tennessee in the passing game, he also, I mean, he he had success with with the throws he made. So I mm-hmm. think the one, well, the one throw to Brock Bowers, I think, is a touchdown 
you know, up the sideline that he Bowers. I, personally, I thought that was a catch on the sideline mm. that he bobbled. But um, but yeah, if, if if Bennett just hits him in stride, like that's a 60, 70 yard touchdown there. But yeah, I mean, I think Georgia's offense is like this is just what they've done to everybody. Like I think at the start of the week when um, someone asked me what I thought the score of this game was going to be. I said, well, it'll probably go how every Georgia game does. They'll probably score 35 to 45 points, and the opponent will probably have somewhere between zero and and, and 13. Well, Tennessee had 17, so you got to give them love for the, the most points anyone scored on Georgia this year. But, yeah, I think this is just kind of what Georgia does. They Their their running game isn't as dominant as it's been, you know, in, in years past um, with the DeAndre Swifts and the Chubb and Michelles, but – once this team gets up in the second half and they, they kind of run to put the game away, like they definitely have the ability to do that. I feel like Zamir White was basically getting nothing in this game, but James Cook seemed to get eight yards on every single carry. So I uh, I thought this offense, they uh, they definitely, they, they, it went about as, as what I expected, you know, because we knew Tennessee was going to give Georgia a look and they were going to have some success offensively. But I just I didn't feel like with what Tennessee did defensively, they could really give Georgia any, any problems offensively. But I got a couple of stats for you on this uh, on this Georgia defense. Oh, we don't have to do that. So Tennessee came in averaging thirty eight point two points per game, mm-hmm. and Georgia held in the seventeen. Georgia is so far this year is averaging holding to opponents to twenty three points per game less than their season average. They're also holding teams to 2.2 yards per play less than their season average. So I was was crunching some numbers, right? Georgia's faced one opponent this year that's in the top 30 in the country in points per play, or in yards per play, I should say. Like, I think that's kind of a narrative that's out there. Like, you know, how many many good offenses have have they really played? And Tennessee was looked at as probably the, the biggest test offensively. So they've only played one opponent, and Tennessee was not one. And Tennessee was 32nd, uh, is 30 seconds in um, in yards per play. Florida, I think, is top 10, top 15. So they played one opponent that's top 30 in yards per play. If they if if those teams had not played Georgia, seven of the 10 teams Georgia has played would be top 20 in the country in yards per play. That is just what Georgia's doing, and that's what I feel like people don't understand when they look at these season averages from some of these teams, like. Yeah, one of their nine data points, one of their eight data points is a game versus Georgia where they scored zero and had 150 yards. You know, I think it's this team is dominating so much, you're you're questioning how how good the opponent is. And so now that you've seen an offense that truly I think everyone respects how explosive Tennessee's offense is, I think I think people might understand a little bit more how how dominant this Georgia defense. Yeah. And it's just kind of overwhelming when you get sucked in there, when you're just like, there's nothing else you can really do here. This is this is not fun. Uh, Matt Green, I ran the numbers, and it's less fun uh, when Tennessee does not have explosive plays. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I tried to warn you, man. I know these Tennessee games have been fun this year, but unfortunately you had to sit through a, a boring Georgia one. It wasn't boring. It was fun. It was cold, no, though. Sure. It was really, really cold. Like that fourth quarter, man, I was... I was uh, not doing well. The sports renaissance woman and I were we're we're, str- we're struggling. We were on the struggle bus <laughs> with that. And as you know, I'm not really the beefiest guy. Not a beefy guy, Matt Green. Like uh, pretty skinny. So um, <laughs> not a lot of meat to to keep me warm. But um, 
alas. I made it out. I made it out. Um, but it is kind of sad, man. Like, that's it. That's the last big game for Tennessee's season. We got South Alabama and Vanderbilt left, so we'll finish up. Um, I mean, we should finish up 7-5 and five here. And I think that's a win for year one of Hype Bowl. And like Graham and I talked about on Twitter, it's just I think the scheme's there, the buy-in's there. But it's going to come down to the recruiting or he's going to run into the same wall that Mullen did. Like, this is like, that's the ultimate thing here is this the is only be, thing. Mm-hmm. The only thing with that is I think I think Mullen is just an, an anomaly. Hmm. Like, I think like I know we don't like Dan Mullen on this podcast, but not even like just hating him. It's just like people just don't like him. And it's it's hard to ever recruit that way. I feel like you see every single big time coach or big time job that gets a new head coach, they get a they get an uptick in recruiting. I expect the same thing to happen with with Tennessee and Hypo. Especially you can see the product on the field is exciting to watch. Like you just you have to be kind of a dick, you know, for people <laughs> to not you know to to not sign on board with that. Like you saw Butch Jones like. Brick by brick, that was their whole thing, right? Like, even when he took over at Tennessee, like, that first full recruiting class he had, it was, like, top five in the country. Like, Dan Mullen is just – like, you saw Harbaugh at Michigan do that, you know? Like, Dan Mullen is just one of the only coaches that just never got that spike in recruiting, and he's he's in the most fertile recruiting land in the in the country. So I, I definitely am a believer that Heupel, especially what we've seen in the SEC East this year with what Florida's doing – it it seems reasonable to think Tennessee will be the second best team in the East next year. Yeah, uh, I was actually just talking about that with my my parents tonight when I was grocery shopping. Uh, was that like I, I think if you had told any Tennessee fan before the year that like this would end with Tennessee being the second best program in the SEC East right now, you take it every time. You take yeah, it. Every it's time. at least on the second like you'd put the second ranked trajectory you know mm-hmm. like florida might be like they obviously beat tennessee this year they might still be a little better but man just no one wants to be a part of, of florida right now i'm just saying but like if you play florida tennessee now how does that game go <laughs> probably who knows F- florida Sanford wasn't on the pod on the pick by the way <laughs> but well i feel like we have to talk about that game like, i didn't watch any of it because i was at the i was at tennessee for that so i didn't see i just got the text and everyone losing their minds and everyone let me just say tennessee fans very much enjoy the florida fall like uh we may struggle to beat them every year but you know what when it, it falls apart like this and we saw the stories it, like it was it was wild because i think tennessee I was, hadn't um, kicked off yet and it was like wait what is the score now yeah i was working at a mellow mushroom uh as an 18 year old mm-hmm. when Ole miss upset florida with tim tim tebow's what was that junior year and you would have thought it was a in in athens uh i should say and you would have thought georgia was playing with how nuts that's that mellow mushroom place was going for florida to lose um but yeah all you need to know about the game florida sanford game this weekend is that emory jones set the school record with total yards 464 passing yards 86 rushing yards seven pa- seven total touchdowns so they scored 70 points that's all you need to know they the offense was clicking Emory jones is playing well dan mullen you know just dialing up that offense that's all you need to know there's no, there's nothing else significant that happened in that game oh yeah also sanford was up 42 35 at halftime but as of <laughs> this recording mullen still has a job correct I mean, not past 2021, honestly. Like, so you think he's out? 
I feel like there's no chance. Like we've talked about for weeks, like on paper, he shouldn't be fired right now. Like he's done enough in his first three years there. Now you're four, like having your first bad season. He's done enough to keep the job, but it's, it's the intangible feeling like just giving up 50 points, almost 600 yards. Uh, I guess not almost 600 yards, but over 500 total yards to Samford, like to be losing at the half to Samford, like, how especially when you're fighting for your job like this you're not sleepwalking on sam it's one thing to be losing to samford like a couple weeks before you're going to the sec championship and you're looking ahead whatever you came out and sleptwalk that's still not good but you can't sleepwalk in this situation things are bad and you need a win desperately and you come out and play like this just the the lack of effort i don't know like the I, I always question when I see those anonymous stories, you know, anonymous coaching quotes, like that always come out before the preseason. But Bruce Feldman is a legit like journalist. So for him to post anonymous quotes, I feel like I trust that those are, are real and those are legitimate. And it seems spot on with what you've seen out of the Florida team and the, the lack of effort the last few weeks. Mm. We'll but see I how it I don't I don't see any respectable like def- defensive coordinator like wanting to sign on to be Dan Mullen, like a coach who's a dead man walking, you know, I think it's just going to be, there's just so much negativity around the program. I don't know. It seems tough to, to go through another year of this kind of dark cloud hanging over you, especially how much, how much better are they going to be next year? Like it's Anthony Richardson and Emory Jones. Like what are we really expecting this team to really be in 2022? Like, I don't know. Gary Patterson, Florida Gator, DC. No, no chance. Honestly, you know who would be the Florida, perfect Florida coach, but he won't do it. Hmm. Is Lane Kiffin? Oh, like just the swagger that Dan Mullen tried to have. Like that's the Steve Spurrier. I was going to say Lane Kiffin's stuff. the modern Spurrier. Lane Kiffin's got that. Yeah, it's not phony. It's not trying too hard. Like man, I would hate. I would hate Lane Kiffin so much. <laughs> he was at Florida. Like that guy. He's arrogant, but. It's like when Steve Spurrier was arrogant back in the day, but it's like you also couldn't disagree with the things he was saying. It's like, yeah, he's he's right, though. You just don't like to hear it. Like Dan Mullen, it's, you know, what's the expression? that They're pissing on you and telling you it's raining. Like like every every week, like even this week, the reporter asking tough questions. He's like, is it disappointing to lose? It's never disappointing to lose. It's like, you know what we mean, man. You gave up 50 points to Samford. Like, this wasn't a good game. You have to know that. Please tell me that you know that. It's important to me that you know that. Oh, I agree. This is the bad luck. Um, it yeah, feels like enough. this thing's going to end. But also, I kind of don't want it to. I think you and I as uh, Tennessee and Georgia fans want Mullen back. Like, I'm rooting against his firing because I think Florida could get better and i think florida's a good job um so i hope i don't need to know right a georgia fan a tennessee fan would prefer florida keep the the coach they have right that tells you everything exactly um ucf smu speaking of uh coaches of the sec past uh gus malzahn loses again here mikey Keene, 18 for 35 174 five yards per attempt 20.9 qbr quarterbacks if you're considering you're like hey orlando the weather's good gus malzahn um you're gonna want to not choose the gus malzahn option you're gonna want to stay clear of 
Central Florida. You're going to want to go to Knoxville, Tennessee. Um, <laughs> you're going to want to move on. So Dylan Gabriel, come on down. Excited for for you to hit the portal next year and uh, become a volunteer. Get in the mix there with Hendon Hooker, Taven Jackson and company. But yeah, SMU right the ship. Uh, dropped 55 on the Knights. Um, any thoughts on this one? I mean, they just they just went off. Mm. Like, first first win over UCF since joining the AC, the AAC, and yeah, they uh, they did it with a bang. Six over six hundred yards of total offense. Like Tanner Mordecai was cutting this team up. Yeah, SMU quality team. So are they? They could be in the in the A in the AAC championship, right? Yes. Or is, okay, so it's either them or Houston. Yes. Okay. Have we seen that game? We wait. Which one? SMU Houston. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Houston won. Okay. Oh, so that's oh so that's this, that's next week. Oh, okay, I was Cincinnati SMU is this week, so mm-hmm. that'll that could be a game for sure. And then you get Houston, uh, Cincy in the in the championship. That's what I'm saying. Cincinnati is not guaranteed anymore. Like I just that's, that's fair. I don't know. Uh, Minnesota Iowa, sir. What did uh, what did you make of this one? Oh man, well I don't want to toot my own horn <laughs> about the uh, on-point predict- prediction I had with this game. Wait, uh, speaking of, we half. didn't reveal our pick'em. We didn't. We didn't oh, do it at the top. We didn't go through the standings. You, mm. uh, you want me to go through the standings real quick? I don't. On this want. one, this is a five and a half point, or this is six point spread, and uh, Minnesota got uh, only lost by five. I, what, did, what did, did they cover? What do you call that? They weren't the underdog. I don't know. They. Yeah, I won the pick. I don't know. Yes. I don't know the, the gambling term for that when you're the underdog. But um, yeah. No, so if you're I you still cover if it's like the home dog, the home team's favored by seven, and you lose by four, the the road team still still is covered. That, is that the terminology? Minnesota was six point underdog, lost by five. Yeah, so they covered. They covered. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so yeah, but Iowa got the win. Um, this game pretty much went a lot like I thought. Like Iowa just. Iowa seems better than the scoreline of like kind of every game they play. Like it's almost just feels like you guys should be dominating this game, but you don't you don't score enough points. You know, it's kind of it's kind of that it gives you that feeling. It's also just like I feel like every box score. If you went through every year with the Iowa Hawkeyes, every quarter it's like three points, seven points, seven, six, and then they scored twenty seven. And they won 27-20. Like, that is every Iowa game ever. Um, Alex Padilla was not much better than Spencer Petras. Like, 11 for 24, 206, two TDs. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, Minnesota's still going bowling, 6-4, and 8-2 and two, Iowa. Like, if they finish 9-3, and 10-2, still a great year for, for the Hawkeyes. Just not as good as they that number two early season ranking turned out to be. Um, and they're cool with it. And that's why Kirk Ferentz is just... I don't know. Does he get a statue? Is Kirk Ferentz statue level? Well, as we've seen with the TCU situation, let's go ahead and uh, wait till they're gone before we construct any statues, before it gets awkward. Yeah, well, that's definitely true. But it's like, they're just, they're they're fine with him. It's like, he's he's not good. He's not really, like, great, but, you know, every I would say he's great. He qualifies as great. He's... The, the College Football Hall of Fame qualifications for coaches are generous, I would say. And I feel like he's a very good coach. And he's like a easy Hall of Famer. But like, like how many times have they truly contended in what he's been there, like, what, 20 years? 23 years? Mm-hmm. Like, 
they had the year with Brad Banks back in like oh two, you know, like that there's a couple years ago I think they went undefeated and lost was it when they lost Ohio State in the Big Ten championship or maybe Michigan State. They were like top ten, top five, I think, uh week of the Big Ten championship. It's like in in twenty three years they've got, you know, five, six top ten finishes. It's like they're they're cool with that. It's like he's he's really good, but Iowa has a ceiling, and I guess they're just they're fine with you know this guy just continuing to be a solid a solid team every year. It's Iowa. You can't win a national title, Iowa. This is incredible for Iowa. I think the coach who follows him is going six and six, seven and five. They're going to go in the Nebraska zone. Just don't take it for granted. Kirk Ferentz is is great. He is a legendary coach, longest tenured college coach um, right now with one school. Now give like Kirk Ferentz is uh, a legendary coach. I think uh, Iowa's He's top- legendary. But where would you currently rank him among college head coaches? Though top ten. See, I think we had our top ten lists. Like, I don't mm. think either one of us was putting Kirk Ferentz. No, I had him in there. And you, you might have to go back I, to I the tapes. The athletic they do their like top twenty-five coaches every year, mm. and I think it's always a controversial thing of Iowa fans specifically, mm. like arguing that Kirk Ferentz is a top twenty-five coach, and it's mm. like, ah, he's a he's a good coach, but I don't know. I don't know. I think a lot it of it is Iowa. I don't know. They're they've been solid. They're 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 content with what they are. The problem with Ferentz though, and like coaches like that, where they stayed in the small. Like I would have loved to have seen Gary Patterson at Georgia or at Florida. You know what I mean? Where like I, it's hard for me to really get a good feel of where they are as a coach because we saw when Urban went from Utah to Florida. We saw what happened with Brian Kelly yeah. when he went from Cincinnati did, to did Notre Dame. been a couple good years at Michigan State and he goes to LSU. Right. Less miles even at LSU from Oklahoma State. Like we never saw Gundy leave. We never saw Pat Fitzgerald leave. So it's hard for me to put those like to, to figure out where to place them because I don't know how they would actually match up where they're contending for national titles or being or in programs where they can realistically contend for national titles they have the resources for that so i don't know those guys those coaches are harder for me to to pick no that's fair he's definitely a good coach yeah i just i would like what what would he have done at usc kirk ferentz at usc let's make it happen for two years <laughs> or yeah. four years one recruiting cycle let's see what if happens. there is ever a coach honestly if you named every fbs coach like Ranked him in order of not taking the USC job. <laughs> Kirk Ferentz seems somewhere somewhere near the top. Absolutely. Um, Miami, Florida State. We talked about this game not uh, needing to happen this late in the season. Make it the opener again, folks. What are we doing here? But Florida State, dude, this is... What if Florida State goes bowling because of uh, their win at the end of the season against Florida? They're 4-6 and six now. Miami falls to 5-5. Five and five. Um Man, Tyler Van Dyke, yeah. not a great game. Florida State, I have no idea what to make of them, but I am so ready for the insanity that I think Florida State, Florida is going to be. Yeah, without a doubt. I think that's – it's big for so many reasons, right? Like, for for one, just getting Mike Norvell that positive momentum that he needed. Mm-hmm. Like, be, if you could get this team bowling by just, – just winning the last three games – versus nobodies like that's just positivity you know if we win our last three games to qualify for a bowl you know get those extra practices in december that every like young coach or coach of the young team wants like that all by itself is huge especially when you're just with what florida state's been with the with what would they start zero and four this year 
But to do it by beating Miami and potentially Florida, that would just be so massive and just kind of taking over. Like the state of Florida is just for the taking right now in recruiting, which is why, like, obviously everyone in in the country is going down to poach guys out of Florida. But those in-state schools are just none none of them want to want to be the most attractive site to to recruits right now, right? So. For if Florida State can, they obviously got the huge win over Miami. Miami, I did not see this coming at all. And if they were also like with what we saw over Sanford, we might even favor Florida State to beat Florida. So I don't know that that game is going to be crazy. I I'm afraid just because of the records, it might get stuck at noon. But I'm hoping we can get a prime time uh, slot for for Florida State Florida. Because I think it's going to be dumb. It's going to be a really dumb game, and it's going to be weird. Uh, so I'm here for it, and I have a lot of for sure. Because Georgia, Georgia mm-hmm. Tech, they'll stick that at noon. Like we don't even, don't even need put, to play that, do we? Maybe you don't, you don't even bring a TV network to to film that one. <laughs> Who knows? But but yeah, Florida, Florida, Florida State, and even South Carolina, Clemson. Can South Carolina mess with Clemson this year? That I don't know. I hadn't considered that, but I think you're onto something there. We'll see. Clemson's messed around with a, a lot of teams that aren't very good. So, <laughs> like, I don't think South Carolina's very good, especially not after losing to Missouri. But um, we'll see. How the mighty have fallen. We're considering that game not being a, a blowout. Um, NC State, Wake Forest, Matt Green. Um, hmm. The ACC's weird. Pitt comes back. They beat UNC late. That was a fun game on Thursday night, I want to say. But... Yeah, I mean, this was about the kind of game we expected. Um, what did you What did you make of this one? Because this was a shootout. NC State ultimately falling short here. I had NC State winning this one. I thought they were the best team in the ACC. Man, fifty nine pass attempts for Devin Leary. Like you get in these shootouts with the claw fence, and uh, you never know who's coming out of that one, sir. Uh, Amika Amendi for NC State, ten receptions, hundred three thirty three yards, two TDs. But Man, Wake Forest, guess who is still undefeated in the ACC? The Demon Deacon, 6-0, 9-1 in the season. Go Deeks, man. What a win. Yeah, seriously. Wake Forest is great television. <laughs> I'll tell you that right now. Um, what are the chances Devin Leary's an NFL quarterback? Uh, pretty strong. I feel like every NC State quarterback just develops into an NFL quarterback. It's crazy. <laughs> like I feel like he made a lot of like big time looking throws on Saturday. Um, I thought NC State was gonna figure out a way to come back in this one. Like almost the best onside kick I've ever seen. Mm. Yeah, that thing went like nine yards and like two feet before <laughs> <clears throat> before he uh, before the guy on the kick team uh, picked it up, but. This was a this was a great game, big time win for Wake Forest. This almost solidifies the uh, ACC Atlantic for them. They can clinch it next week uh, versus Clemson, but even if they don't, they have a, at Boston College where they can clinch it the or clinch it the week after. So I don't know. I think I think early on, I think Clemson might be favored over Wake Forest on the road. Believe it or not, but um, it'll be interesting. Wake Forest might might be in the ACC championship. Hmm. Okay. We'll see. I we, mean, Pitt can clinch too next week. Um, man, Pitt, Wake Virginia. Forest would be so much fun. I mean, those have honestly, those have been the best two teams in the, in the ACC this year. We all had that before the year too. Pitt, Wake <laughs> Forest. Of course. Without a doubt. If, if it just, if Wake Forest fell apart and lost to Clemson and Boston College to end the year and 
we somehow got you know Clemson and Miami or Clemson and Virginia or something I feel like it would be such a crime but um Wake Forest Pittsburgh if, if they both can run the table uh for Charlotte um I think uh I think both of those teams could be top I mean, Wake Forest could be in the top 10 by that time hmm I think they're a top 10 team I think at this point I don't know how you don't include them I don't think they're a top 14 but I do think they're somewhere in that top 10 um Indy, Virginia was on primetime, and I, I watched as much as I could, and then I, like, moved out. Like, I don't think I should lose points for this one, Matt, because I based it all on Brandon Armstrong, and he was out for this one. So they started a true freshman, and Jay Wolfuck uh, went 18-33, 196-2 interceptions, and Notre Dame dominated. So it's a, it's a huge shame that we did not get to see Armstrong versus this Notre Dame group. Um, but Notre Dame, we haven't really talked about, and they're just on the periphery. Are they... Should we start talking to our children about an 11 and one Notre Dame getting a fourth playoff spot again? Oh man, I hope not. <laughs> right. Like we all know this team isn't very good. Mm-hmm. Like this, like Notre Dame schedule as much, like as much smack as people want to talk, especially in SEC country about Notre Dame schedule every year. Like it's a national schedule and they, they usually, it usually has a, bunch of pretty quality opponents on it um but this year it's just for whatever reason it seems like their entire schedule is is basically down um other than that cincinnati uh game and they and they lost that one so they've they've looked bad not bad but they haven't looked great in most of the games they played this was honestly probably the most dominant win of the year but like you said without brennan armstrong like what does that what does that win really even mean so what is the scenario for that to happen? Is it, is that even possible? Like, yes, because Cincinnati has to get, is it be, was this take Cincinnati losing? Yeah. Cincinnati loses. Um, and if you get a Cincinnati loss, Notre Dame wins out. And I think Ohio state probably has to lose one more. There's Oregon, Oregon. Yeah. yeah. The Ohio state, the big 10, that's a doomsday scenario where the big 10 could kind of cannibalize itself. Hmm. If, if Michigan, if Michigan State is able to beat Ohio State next week, I think that's the doomsday scenario because then Ohio State's going to go and beat Michigan. Then, then Michigan State would still be the only one with two losses, but I don't know. Mich- then they could end up losing to Wisconsin or something. Like that's that's the scenario it's going to take. I think for for the Big Ten to get left out. I think it would it would take something crazy and Oregon losing for for Notre Dame to be able to get in there. Like, I'm taking a two-loss Alabama over one-loss Notre Dame all But the playoff committee's not doing that, is what I'm saying. Like, you I don't think, think so? No. They love Notre Dame. Notre I Dame's mean, great Notre for Dame, ratings. It is hilarious every time you hear, well, we had uh, meetings with all the conference commissioners and Notre Dame. <laughs> like, they're just, they play by different rules. So, yeah, I guess it, from that perspective, I, I, I can't rule them out. I think there's a, I, I would say a greater than 40% chance they get a fourth playoff spot. No, I would Wisconsin, I would they that. beat 41-13. Guess who's rolling right now? The Wisconsin Badgers. No, that's fair, but that that's the best win, right? Yeah. Purdue, the the Kingslayers, the Purdue uh, Boilermakers. The Boilermakers. Yeah. Uh, nickname this weekend. But they're they're test. going through. We know the thing about Notre Dame is like they're not an uncertainty like the rest of them, right? Like Oklahoma's an uncertainty, Ohio State's an uncertainty, uh, Oregon's certainly an uncertainty, Cincinnati's an uncertainty. Guess who we know is finishing eleven and one with Georgia Tech and Stanford remaining on the calendar? Notre Dame's finishing eleven and one without a conference championship game to also 
potential give them another blemish and they're what seventh in the ap poll right now yeah i think were they seven or eight were they nine in the most recent yeah they're just sitting waiting for their moment like they're gonna like oklahoma will fall back behind them right um who's in front of them right now in the cfp yeah so oklahoma i mean that in terms of the playoff rankings that that'll move up to eight right there Mm -hmm. michigan michigan state and ohio state are all they're gonna cannibalize themselves a little bit I mean, it is possible for them, for only one of those teams to be ahead of them by the end of it. Especially mm-hmm. if Ohio State just runs through Michigan State and Michigan, kind of how people think they will. Mm. I mean, that moves Notre Dame up to six. Maybe if Cincinnati could lose, they get into five. <laughs> Alabama loses to Georgia, get into four. Yeah, it's possible. Oregon loses. It's uh, now that you You're say so it, mad. I definitely can't rule out Notre Dame. But I, a Big 12 champion, I think, I think still because they'll have those two big wins at the end of the year, regardless of who it is. Um, well, unless it's Baylor, if Baylor's a two loss, big 10 chamber, that could change things. But yeah, I guess we can't rule out Notre Dame. I do not want to see Notre Dame in the playoff. Although as a Georgia fan, I would not mind seeing Notre Dame in the playoff. Cause I do not think they are a top four team. Okay. Uh, well, let's run through the remaining games and get to our stickers, Matt green, um, Alabama, 59 Mexico State New Mexico State 3 Oregon 38 Washington State 24 Ohio State drops 59 on uh, the spoiler maker so it, it it's over the spoiler maker situation is over Ohio State's just I got a I got mm. a stat for you for Ohio State in this game I'm ready They had 11 drives in this game eight touchdowns one field goal one punt and then one to end the game which honestly they, that was like second and goal i think when the game ended they could have scored again if they wanted to they had 624 yards out of a possible 697 yards like this they could not have moved the ball basically any more than they did even the the field goal they took i think was they got down to like the 13 yard line or inside the 10 or something like they absolutely moved the ball at will on this uh, on this Purdue defense. And is Chris Olave their third best receiver? Like, no, he's the best. It goes one Olave, two Wilson. He was the best Wilson. receiver in college football, and he might be the third best receiver on this team. Like this, they're they're so loaded. Yeah, uh, Michigan State forty, who wore some awful uniforms in this one. Michigan State forty, Maryland twenty one. That yellow goal whatever that is with their green what are you doing michigan state your uniforms are good what what is that why are they with the state draped across the front it did not look good do you see those terrible yeah, okay, i don't know I what they're doing it's <laughs> it's awful who do you think you are baylor you can't just change your school colors all right you can't do it baylor somehow managed to do it i don't know how it worked but um they, they pulled it off but michigan state you got that green too it's perfect green as as a green I, I I am an expert As a green. on the color green, mm-hmm. and Michigan State green is the pinnacle of all greens. It's perfect color. Wisconsin thirty five, Northwestern seven. Um, Wisconsin man, Braylon Allen, true freshman, he enrolled early. Twenty five carries, one seventy three three TDs. He's the next guy. Just as a heads up, folks. Uh, if you were wondering if Wisconsin was down and out, no, Wisconsin's back to being a top ten program, and they're they're cruising and. Uh, Graham Mertz, 18, 23, 216, two TDs. They figured it all out. They're going to be a pain in the butt. And uh, yeah, Wisconsin's fine. Uh, Nevada, 21, San Diego State, 23, ends on a final drive here. Uh, Nevada can't get down there to get in the field goal range. Unfortunate, Carson Strong, 
350 yards, three TDs. He'll be playing on Sundays, but uh, this is uh, this game cost me my pick him this week. Mm. And I have explained to you the the pick him I do with uh with my friends and that translates yeah, to this pod. My, yeah, this was my nine pointer, and um, ha- they this was a two and a half point spread, and San Diego State won by two. If they won by three. I would have been the winner in the in the uh, in the pick him this week. So it was unfortunate. LSU's got a quarterback, sir. Garrett Nussmeyer. Looks like he could be the guy uh, long-term in Death Valley, but Arkansas steals one, moves to 7-3. and three. Uh, They win on a last-second field goal. Did you see the clock issues late in this one? Um, I did not. Yeah, there was some some weird clock issues with runoff and stuff like that. It was it was weird. Not not a great weekend for SEC officials. Um, Clemson... It's a great season for uh, SEC officials, but um, Arkansas, that... And we talked about that. Like they had to win. They had to win that game. The first win over uh, LSU since 2015. Did you happen to see the um, social media post Arkansas's football uh, account put out? I did not. Oh man, are you familiar with um, Reno 911? Yes, I did the Lute- new boot goofing. Lieutenant, D- Lieutenant Dangle, yes, the new boot goofing. Mm-hmm. They, uh, they they had like photoshopped the golden boot on top of Dangle's boots. Mm. And he's been the whole new boot goofing thing. It was a, uh, it was big time. I it was way better than the South Carolina Florida troll job. Like I respected the South Carolina one. It just went on for too long. But um, this one, this was short and sweet, and uh, a great reference to Reno Nine One One. Super underrated show. <laughs> I love Reno Nine One One. I was actually doing a new boot goofing bit uh, with my new Merrill boots on Saturday. The, the sports renaissance one loves it. So I was actually doing it, doing the skip and everything. Uh, With, yeah. <laughs> that's a classic. Great show. Great show. It's a great show to fall asleep to in my early 20s. Like, I always had that on in the background. That was a classic one, too. And just Terry is an all-time character. Uh, Miss Terry. Um, now you have me wanting to watch that to fall asleep tonight. Thank you, Matt Green. So the last hey, thing... You're we'll, welcome. Mm-hmm, the last thing, and we'll wrap up tonight... Um, and then hit the stickers real quick. But we have to save. I wanted to save this for the main event. You know where I'm going. We're going to Austin. They supposed to be oh, SEC, man. sir. They supposed to be SEC. Texas falls to four and six. The Kansas Jayhawks, 57. The Longhorns, 56. Get their first Big 12 win of the year. Oh, my goodness, Matt Green. I think it's stamped... Um what was it, a 56-game road conference losing streak for Kansas? <laughs> like, man, unbelievable. I think I saw a stat. Oh, man, I, I see if I can find the exact number. It was like the last five years or something, they're 2-3 and three versus Texas and like 2-43 and 43 versus the rest of the Big 12 combined. Or so. Yeah, that's the number, 2-43 and 43 versus the rest of the Big 12 combined. Like... Man, it, that's just rock bottom, rock chalk bottom, if you will. <laughs> that was that was some clever wordplay right there. You came and hate on that, but <laughs> Texas. I know your buddy was talking about his Texas back after what was that one week, two weeks this mm. season? Like it's it's year one. They're definitely not back. Maybe they'll start moving in the right direction. I don't want to overreact to things that happen in year one. I think Kirby even lost to Vanderbilt uh, at Georgia year one, so. Year one is kind of just the year Saban lost. I think that what it was UL Monroe, UL yeah. Lafayette, one of those two. Um, year one, so these kind of things happen. But 
it is awesome that it comes on the news of SE, of them joining the SEC because the memes have just been fantastic uh, over the last 24 hours. Just I know you've seen the one with the guy behind the tree that's like, you know, rubbing his hands together. Like I've seen that like Vanderbilt waiting on on Texas to join the SEC. Uh, things like I think that. I sent that to you. You sent that to me? Yeah. Oh, okay. Now that's where I saw it. So yeah, it's uh, just just excellent stuff. Man, I, they're in trouble. I wish there weren't going to be pods because I would love to have Texas in the East. That would just be a delight. The reality that they're... I just don't... I think Oklahoma... We've talked about this at nauseum in this podcast. I think Oklahoma will be fine in the SEC. I don't know about Texas. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Like, yeah, that's all I can say. I, I don't know what to make of it, but they're they're going to be playing a much tougher schedule than they're playing right now. All right. Well, let's wrap up with our stickers. They still they mm. made a bowl. They might not make a bowl game, right? Yeah, they're four and six. They have to win out. Four and six. Who do they have do they left? Have? Let me see. They got at West Virginia. Oh no! So that's an L right there. You <laughs> just go into Morgantown and get a dub. So at West Virginia and Kansas State to close out. The oh yeah, they're not winning so. both of those. Yeah, no, they're not going bowling. Yeah, that's um after the after the four and one start, and especially not even after the four and one start. After the four and one and three quarters start, because of how they started that Oklahoma game, and it's like ever since that collapse against Oklahoma, like that was the first of five straight losses. Like I don't know at that, at that point, like they're close losses, you know. Like I know we're we're giving Scott Frost some hype for uh, for close losses, so I don't want to discredit him, but it's uh, it's interesting how that kind of I don't know the hangover of that Oklahoma collapse is just kind of hung over four straight weeks in a row absolutely um all right matt green well let's hit our stickers real quick and we'll wrap up uh this edition of the pod uh my stickers kirby's adjustments after the first quarter shout out to kirby for those got to give credit where credit is due because i am not a sour fan not a sour fan on this podcast i respect that yeah even though everyone everyone would assure you that he can only recruit and he's a terrible game coach um it's good to see him adjust. It's good to see you give him some love. Yeah, he was great. He was great in this one. Um, Dave Aranda, great win here. Um, he's, I think Baylor, we have to like pencil in as like the, the future of the Big 12, right? Like I think they're the the sitting power uh, for me. Um, if I had to bet on who runs the Big 12 post-Texas and OU, I would say the number one pick for me would be Baylor at the moment. Um, Dave Aranda's hmm. doing some great stuff that's there. A, that's an interesting call. I could see that. Um, or or one of the newcomers, Cincinnati, BYU. Maybe. I just like where Baylor's going, and I like. I'd the, Oklahoma State, Baylor seem like they're on another level from the rest of the remaining teams in the Big Twelve. I would agree. Um, Sanford, shout out to the Sanford Bulldogs. Given uh, given Dan Mullen and the Gators, hell of a fight uh, this weekend. Shout out to them and Lane Kiffin and Mike Leach for for putting in putting the work in different ways and ensuring that the Egg Bowl this year is just going to be an absolute. I love the Egg Bowl. I don't know if you can tell. It's one of my favorite rivalry games. Um, so I'm excited for that. And then you have one uh, a different different guy here. Uh, yeah, I have uh, the one I threw in there. You got to throw in Jonathan Garibay, mm-hmm. if I'm saying that name correctly. Uh, mm-hmm. Texas Tech, 62-yarder to to win the game this weekend. Like, that's that's NFL-type stuff. You don't see college kickers hitting 60-yarders to win games. So, 
some some Kevin Butler type stuff, I should say. Kevin so, um, Butler type stuff. You were not alive I, for Kevin Butler type stuff, sir. I was not, but that was like a sixty. I think it was sixty one yarder or mm. so to beat Clemson back in like what eighty three ish. I don't know some early eighties before my time, but um, still still a legendary kick in uh in Georgia sports lore. But that's what that Texas Tech uh, uh kick was this weekend. I feel like that was a that was a big win for the Red Raiders. There you go. There you go. Uh, the stickers that we had to remove, Dan Mullen, who we talked about at nauseum, bad weekend there. Cincy, there's just, I know they won, but USF's really bad. Jeff Scott has not gotten there yet, and it just still just doesn't. You got to be doing more style points, guys. You got to be doing more. And then Steve Sarkeesian, man, rough, rough last few weeks uh, for Sark in Austin. Did you have any other ones you'd like to throw out there? Um, I also got to just throw out something for these Tennessee uniforms. Oh, no. What is the, the white helmets are these black uniforms? We've talked I about just, this. It wasn't their call. Supply issue. Yes. I've heard. I've heard, but just don't wear them yet then. I don't know. Bring back the smoky grays. Tennessee doesn't need rock and black, especially if it's going to throw off your perception of how many Tennessee fans are actually in the game. Oh, God. Yeah, I'm saying, like, Tennessee's above this. It's not like it's a gimmick to rock a black jersey, but or to rock an alternate jersey. But I don't know. I I feel like Tennessee they shouldn't do it every big game. Like I feel like that's the kind of what they they fell into with the gray uniforms. Like it was like Florida next year we rocked the gray. George's at home next year we rocked the gray. You know they did it every year. Like Tennessee's got some classic good looking uniforms. You want to see some big time stages where they rock those so that's i was just disappointed with the uniforms but you know i'm a uniform guy so no no hate to tennessee i feel like if they they had the black helmet i feel like it would be a sick alternate but that's uh those those are my two cents on the uniforms i'm removing a helmet sticker from the from the equipment from the equipment team at at knoxville i'll allow it i'll allow it (laughs) but hey i think it's coming i think what's going to happen is i think bring back the smoke rays what I think is going to happen is I think you just get smoke grays and black. I think it's just going to be a lot more variations uh, for Tennessee football. But I think it's going to be the all black, the all smoky grays. I think those are coming. But uh, I just don't think Tennessee needs all that. But I, I, it's not a, from Adidas to Nike. Their their jerseys, their regular jerseys, just look so much better. Like they just look, I don't know, they look classy. They I'm not disagreeing. I'm just saying what much. reality, what players want. I think there's a disconnect. Um, and players love the black uniforms, so like I would rather them change up and rock the orange pants more often. Mm. You know, rock the on the road or rock the all orange at home. Like that's still Tennessee. You know, the black, like the smoky gray. Because no one else is doing the gray, that was kind of Tennessee's thing too. Like if you're just rock black like everybody else, before you know it, you're Iowa State. You don't even know what your school colors are. <laughs> that's uh, I would to tread lightly. Okay, all right. Matt Green, do you have anything else you'd like to add as we wrap up here this Sunday night? Uh, that's all I got, sir. I um, I want to give a shout out to you for, for being very classy in defeat. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, it was uh, I know this weekend didn't go how you planned it, but uh, you know, here we are. It was fun, man. And you know what? I this is how I ended it with Graham on Twitter. It was just that, like, you know, what's good for college football and just us in general in the South is Tennessee and Georgia both being up and turning in the right direction. That game having meaning. Uh, and feeling intense and just both crowds being into it and both fan bases being passionate and excited about the direction of their program is fun. I like it. I, I like when both teams are good. Without a doubt. And there's definitely something to it. It's like when 
when Tennessee is good. Like when Tennessee first went downhill, South Carolina was there to be the third of the big three in the SEC East. So you never really noticed, you know, that there was still a lot of competition at the the top of the East. But since South Carolina, since Spurrier's moved on, like there hasn't been that clear third team in the East. And even, you know, Florida has gone through a couple coaches. So even they haven't been there every year. And even Georgia, obviously, they're not, they haven't won the SEC every single year. But um, Tennessee just being back in the SEC East, like conversation, I feel like just makes just makes the conference better, and and that's always a good thing. There you go, there you go, Matt Green. Always a pleasure. I will talk to you very soon. Yes, sir. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas podcast. Hell yeah. <laughs>